0: Girlfriends, over here! Come on, girls! Come on! You know better than to run from me, Flo. Lieutenant, I was just—it hey, was just bullshit. All right, who we got here? We got Min, Cherry, Lola, Carrie, mm-hmm. Sue Ellen. Oh, that star stays screening cocksucking. Sylvester, right? My name's Sophia. Sophia, huh? Now, what's this, Sophia? Ah, uh, yeah. Now, this feels like little balls of cock and a cortex, right, Sophia? Now, don't you come in my hand, you cocksucker. Or I'll rip it off. Oh, Jesus, Lieutenant, you're hurting me as bad as I'm going to now what's your name what's your name Sophia yeah ow uh. what's your name Sylvester I'm looking for Roger Montavo. I mean I'm really looking so whoever lets me know I owe him one okay oh, you got him lieutenant uh, anything else Oh, flow. Now, if I wanted anything else, I'd call Sylvester here. I mean... Look at this mouth. I mean, this is an experienced mouth, right, Sylvester? Please, Lieutenant. Now, listen, Godfather. Montavo's boyfriend. What's his name? Ho- Jose, Jose. Jose Malpica. That's right. Jose Malpica. Now, listen, you run in the same circles. You run into him on a daisy chain. You tell him I want to see him. Comprended? Yeah, yeah. Get back to work. Get back to work. I heard. Got the word.
1: You are listening to TMB DOS, They Must Be Destroyed On site. The following podcast may contain adult language and discussions of an adult nature. Spoilers for the films discussed occur often. You have been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on site. Welcome back is they must be destroyed on site episode 205 and I'm your host Lee racial epithets are not permitted Russell and I'm
2: (laughs) in this movie they definitely are (laughs) Mm.
1: Uh, and I'm joined by my co-host Daniel you fuck with me better you piss a kidney stone through your heart on Harper how you doing sir
2: I'm uh I'm doing okay I'm not passing a kidney stone through my heart on that's you good know. which is to say I don't have a hard on just I'm not currently passing a kidney stone through one I really only do that like every like three to four weeks so uh, I think okay. that's pretty average I've not googled that please uh, google that for me and tell me if that's normal
1: uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah and we got an. Interesting... let me know in
2: the comments let me know in the comments yeah
1: yeah yeah uh, and we got an interesting one this week uh, we did not plan this this is sort of uh oh we're well we did plan to do this movie but it was not because yeah. of what all of a sudden no,
2: it's not happened. it's not. we we planned uh, yeah let's do a, a little movie about uh, you know uh, the police in the early 90s racism and corrupt cops and then the world exploded on us so yeah, um, yeah plans uh, sometimes change and sometimes, this is the
0: same.
1: Yeah, I'd say a very uh, prescient uh, pick ended up being anyway. We are going to be looking at Q&A from 1990. And yeah, I think we'll <laughs> have some things to say about this movie and what's going on right now. Sure. Just maybe before we do that, uh, we do have some housekeeping to do. So I'm going to get into the comments. And, uh, oh, it's all YouTube comments this time out, so
2: this oh, is Oh, it's going to be great. I'm, I'm excited.
1: I can't wait. Uh, so do you want the bad or do you want the good first?
2: Uh eh, surprised me.
1: Okay. We're going to go to the bad first.
2: Fair enough, fair enough.
1: Yeah. Someone on our episode on the fun host named Oliver F. Started off.
2: Oliver fuckboy. I'm just going to say Oliver fuckboy.
1: <laughs> started by posting a bunch of question marks. Big string of them.
2: Was it and, 1488 question marks? Calls. Cool.
1: yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> and so I, uh, I replied, what's the confusion? And he replied back, this video, I thought it was something related to the movie, The Fun House, 1981, but I see no coherent imagery on this subject. And I replied, it is related to The Fun House. It happens to be a podcast about said film. And his reply to that was, excuse my ignorance, what's a podcast? And I... I didn't follow up after that.
2: <laughs> you have you have made content with the time traveler from two thousand two, my friend. That's yeah. the only explanation. So, yeah.
1: Someone someone somehow went down the wrong hole in AOL and came out in yeah. twenty twenty. Yeah. Someone named Arjuna we Jaya on our episode on the rundown, a very popular one for these sort of comments. Uh, right. His first, yeah, his first comment was
2: a recent film, which people would want to be searching for clips or the full movie.
1: Yeah. etc. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, what the fuck? And I said, what's the issue? And he asked, where's the movie? And I, re-
2: <laughs> I replied,
1: Netflix. That's where the movie. Is. Yeah. Amazon
2: prime $4. I promise you it's fine.
1: And uh, I replied, why do you think this is a place to find the movie? Go buy or rent it. And his reply to that was junk. And my reply to that was junk attitude from you, dummy. Go pirate movies somewhere else. This is a podcast about the movie. A fact that anyone with working knowledge of English can grasp if they take the time to read the description. So there you
2: go. I get the sense that you've been really bored not doing an episode with me last week. Uh And are just arguing with people in our YouTube comments at this point.
1: Uh, you're not far off. <laughs> yeah
2: fair enough. You're going you're going a bit stir crazy up there in Canada. Uh I get it. I get it. It's fine. I feel, well, I'm, I feel I'm, you know.
1: I'm watching like the potential apocalypse happen down south. So you know it's a it's a little
2: <laughs> I don't know anything about that. No. <laughs> Hold on, down south, Canada. Oh right, that's
1: us. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, Mexico, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now we have some positive <laughs> ones. This is from Peter Theobald, first commented on our Posse from Hell episode. He says, As a Western fan of some 60 years, I'd like to say how much fun I find your reviews. This is one that escaped me, as this is uh, pre peck and pop period. May I suggest the work of Bud Bodicher for future consideration? I think okay. I pronounced that last name correctly. Uh, from what I could see, he did a lot of movies with Randolph Scott, a bunch of early, mm. like, 50s westerns, and some of them look pretty good. Like, they look like, you know, they're better than just dumb singing cowboy romance westerns or mm. whatever, right? So um, really really, what
2: I've gathered from, you know, watching westerns and seeing people comment on our conversations about westerns and just kind of, you know, is that we can do a whole podcast just about westerns. In fact, yeah, we can do a whole podcast about westerns from, like, 1939 to 1960 and have a perfectly fine time just discussing like you know i wish there were as many western podcasts as there were a horror movie podcast ultimately
1: yeah it would be nice wouldn't it he also commented on our pat garrett and billy the kid episode and he says that's amazing i have three westerns at the top of my best of list this and uh once upon a time in the West sought in 73 on its uh, theatrical release in the UK and countless times over the last 50 years approximately you boys have nailed the whole concept completely thanks there you go oh, you're awesome watching. yeah
2: the check is in the mail
1: yeah <laughs> uh, but no uh, thank you Peter uh, glad you're enjoying our uh, episodes that you're finding although I haven't I haven't put any like new uh, episodes on youtube for the longest while now like the last three or four weeks basically because my computer is like failing on me right now and i have to fucking fix it but uh until then yeah yeah i'll get back on that shit but um yeah we can move on to what we've watched in the last little while Uh, i'm not going to really mention anything this time out so uh i'll throw it over to you daniel
2: sure i i mean i i had a I spent some time away from Twitter, away from dealing with uh, the world, and uh, watched fairly okay television show on Netflix. I watched the, uh, the show F- Space Force, which is the oh. new Steve Carell show. It's produced by Greg Daniels. Um, Greg Daniels, if you don't know, was sort of like the second in command of uh, King of the Hill, kind of co-creator of The Office, and uh, then Parks and Recreation. These are all shows that I love, that I have deep, deep problems with in terms of the way You know, like there's a really complicated relationship I have with Greg Daniels work, but these are all like uh, really amazing television shows. Um, And then he reunited with Steve Carell to do this uh, show Space Force and uh, it's half genius and half garbage and you never know what you're going to get in any given time with it. It does feel like, you know, they're used to kind of doing like kind of full fledged like 24 episode seasons and then they got 10 episodes and then just kind of like hit the high points uh, in yeah. terms of like designing a plot because huge developments happen just completely off screen in <laughs> terms of this. It also just kind of feels slightly undercooked as a concept. It seems like they kind of said like, oh, Trump is decided to do like the Space Force thing. Oh, we're going to do a comedy show about that. And then it just kind of rushed into production. And they didn't spend, right. typically shows like this, they'll spend a year just kind of developing the concept, kind of figuring out like how to do it. It is exceedingly well-produced. I mean, it looks amazing. Um, I mean, you could sit down and, I mean, they kind of designed it to be like, well, what if it looked like a Marvel movie, but it was like paced as a sitcom, and they pretty much nailed that. And um, uh, the other big problem is Steve Carell. I love Steve Carell. I've loved him since, you know, the Daily Show era. So, you know, like, since, like, the late 90s, I've been a Steve Carell fan. I'm not going to say he's miscast here as much as, like, they haven't figured out what his character is. Uh Um, because he's simultaneously supposed to be this kind of like in a way he's sort of like Arnold Rimmer if Arnold Rimmer just kept getting promoted above his station for (laughs) you know 25 years and then ends up being like a four-star general in charge of like the Space Force and so like he's simultaneously this like kind of giant prick who is insulting to everyone around him he's a person who you know, believes wholeheartedly in the mission of the U S military. Yeah. Well, why don't we just bomb things? But also he's supposed to be this like heart of gold kind of center of the, of the show. And in the other shows, like Michael Scott from uh, the office kind of gets this uh, kind of similar treatment where he is kind of this like mix of characteristics, but it is like kind of written well enough that it makes sense of like, you get a sense of like who Michael Scott is. And then uh, Leslie Nope kind of has a similar dynamic in, um, Parts in Rec, although she is portrayed at least on a surface level as a much more positive character. Um, although, uh, when you take a step backwards and understand what she's actually doing, she's, if anything, much much worse than any villain in a Marvel movie. Uh, but, uh yeah, I, I feel I feel like it is just kind of like it would be I, – I feel like this show was undercooked. I feel this show was kind of underdone. It's not a bad show. It was really amusing. I enjoyed all ten episodes to some degree or the other. There mm-hmm. were a couple of them that I really uh, – the second episode in particular I was just kind of like really not on board with. I think it just kind of goes somewhere that I'm just not comfortable with a show like this going. But I enjoyed it. It's cute. It's funny. It's worth a watch. But, yeah, it's it's kind of – it is the thing that it is, and uh, if it gets uh, picked up for a second season, it does end on a cliffhanger, so you know we'll see, but if it gets uh, picked up for a second season, I hope that they really kind of make the decision to retool and kind of figure out what they're doing. The real uh, key to the enjoyment of the show is that uh, Steve Carell, just ignore him, everyone around him is pretty amazing, and most particularly uh, John Malkovich, as oh, yeah. the uh, sort of scientific guy who's sort of the the co-lead to steve carell's like general character (laughs) even when he has shitty material he sells it for everything he's worth and um he's really fucking good in this so uh check that out
1: nice all right so we're gonna take a quick break we're going to play a little bit of music some podcast promos and we're gonna come back and talk about q a from
0: 1990 you ungodly warlock
1: new movie reviews all the time see if these films age just
0: like a fine wine oh no we'll jack it up again
1: tv
2: games and more within
0: rotten tomatoes and IMDb are all the rage but we'll lock those
2: critics up in one cage the jacked up review show every wednesday evening on spotify podbean anchor and other available podcast apps
0: How about throwing a little beach party for yourself and letting these people to get to know you oh so better? Hey
1: kids, it's me, your good friend Alistair, here to tell you about a wonderful movie podcast called Get Soft with Dr. Snuggles. What happens is, every two weeks, the love of my life Siobhan and I are joined by a cast of friends, family, internet weirdos and special guests to guide you through the wild and woolly world of erotic thrillers and softcore films. Everything from Alien Abduction, Intimate Secrets, to Zarita, Passions Avenger, and all points in between. Check it out now on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: What's that horrid man talking about? You ungodly warlock. (laughs) Tip-toe through the wind. with them.
1: Okay, Q&A from 1990.
0: The setup. Okay, calm down. We wait right here. Q and A. Your first case is as an assistant district attorney began with my phone call at 3.05 a.m. Tell us, uh, tell us in your words, tell us what happened. I saw him reach. I saw a flash of metal. Gun was with me. I hit him in the head. So I go outside, I'm not a big guy who pulls his badge, and he say, hey, nobody moves. you got a right to remain silent as long as you can stay in the pain. <laughs> Give me a Q&A on this. There's no statute of limitations on murder. I'm going to bury your boy, Brennan, but legally, I've got my proof. So I break a couple of heads. I mean, you lose control of this jungle, you're finished. Well, he gets rough sometimes. If you take shortcuts, they've never heard us in court. Just suppose Brennan comes up wrong the you lawyers and the Kenny D.A.s are raking it in you take a freaking hamburger and it's goodbye badge garment pension you dirty you're going mm-hmm. you can always find somebody to set you out right not if you're clean get out get out right now Q and A Nick Nolte, Timothy Hutton Armando Santi a film by Sidney Lumet. Q and A.
1: Directed by Sidney Lumet. Written by Edwin Torres, Sidney Lumet, and Alan Smithy. That I, I believe Sidney Lumet had his name taken off this for. I think like one of the cuts of this or something like that. That's why that appears there. Yeah, the television. I, it, it,
2: it does feel like there's a there's a bit of a tortured um, um, production process behind this. But please continue.
1: Yeah, so it's starring Nick Nolte as Mike Brennan. Timothy Hutton as Al Riley, Amand Asante as Bobby Texador. Patrick O'Neill as Kevin Quinn. Lee Richardson as Leo Blumenfeld. uh, Louise Guzman here as uh, Louise Valentin. Charles S. Dutton as Sam Chapman. Ginny Lumet as Nancy Bosch. uh, Paul Calderon as Roger Montalvo. International Crisis as Jose Malpica. Dominic Chianese as Larry Pesch, uh, looking like a fucking um, Larry Sanders in this. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there's there's a couple of uh, people who would go on to be in the Sopranos uh, in the in this one. Um, there's him, uh, the guy who plays Big Pussy. I saw him as an extra in a bar in this yeah. film.
2: <laughs> vaguely racist Italian people.
1: Uh, showing yes, up in,
2: in the Sopranos ten years later. Imagine my shock.
1: Uh, Leonardo Chimino as uh, Nick Petrone and Fivish Finkel as Preston Pearlstein. <laughs> they, gave, they gave Fivish Finkel the uh, the elaborate uh, name Preston Pearlstein as well. That's great. I like that. Um, I
2: just imagine like three parentheses around like
1: half of these names. Sh- <laughs> oh my god. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So the synopsis I picked from uh, Keith Lowe from IMDb says a young district attorney seeking to prove a case against a corrupt police detective encounters a former lover and her new protector, a crime boss who refuses to help him in his gritty crime drama.
2: Yeah, that's, that's not really a description of the movie, but, you know, it's fine.
1: Yeah, like that kind of happens in this, but there's there's a <laughs> yeah. lot. All of those things around.
2: happen, but you know, yeah, not not really what's what's really happening in the movie. But yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm assuming this is like a first time watch for both of us, is it?
2: Is it? I saw this. Uh, this was one that. So can I can I do the brief aside of like why I really wanted to do this? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you maybe you don't remember this era, but like um, we had HBO in my family when I was like ten years old. Mm-hmm. and you used to get like the the little like glossy like mini magazine every month of oh, like yeah all the like uh, movies that were coming out. And so you get the kind of glossy thing and you flip through it and read about all the movies. And then it had like a little like guide of like what time all the movies are going to be on at the end. Mm -hmm. It was like a kind of mini TV guide, sort of a glossy and fancy and everything. And you got that by being an HBO subscriber uh, back in um, the late eighties and early nineties. So I have like uh, the sense memory of the first of the month showing up and then the big guide. And I used to like go over them. And I remember this movie as being like, high in my mind is because it was advertised very strongly
1: mm-hmm.
2: at some whenever whatever month that showed up on hbo in my childhood right but i never watched it <laughs> until <laughs> years later right and so i did watch this uh i went through a period of the like back when netflix was doing the sort of like when uh the uh, uh the disc model was the thing uh around 2007 i was like watching like five netflix dvds a week just by you know watching a movie every day and just plugging it back in just you know right back into the mail get the new one and as fast as i can watch them i just like send them back and so i watched a ton of movies and i watched it at the time and um (laughs) some of this movie made like a strong impression of me and other parts made a less strong impression of me Mm -hmm. and then when i rewatched it i was like oh that's why it made a less strong impression on me um you know, but um in particular Nick Nolte's performance and in particular sort of the, the, the race relation stuff and I was like, you know this seems like something that we should cover on this show. And that was kind of my only um really thought when I was like, oh, I would like to do this is like it parts of this in particular Nolte's performance meant something. You know, it kinda it kinda seemed interesting, something that you and I should talk about. And rewatching it I'm like, this is very uh seventies crime drama but 15 years later yeah <laughs> you know, um there's a strong uh, there's a strong kind of component of that which uh I think you and I probably both appreciated that mm-hmm. element of it, but uh the rest of it is filled with a giant pile of shit basically <laughs> That said, uh, the stuff that works really works. The stuff that really doesn't, really doesn't. I do love Sidney LeMay as a as a filmmaker. Uh Twelve Angry Man is probably a top 10 film for me. You know, I I deeply, deeply adore that film. And uh the best parts of this film kind of reach that level of cinema. I think he's he was a working director. He made a shitload of movies. Uh, went through a bunch of shit and uh it does feel like that some of the problems of the film are just the kind of late 80s early 90s kind of like this is just what you had to do in order to make the kind of greedy crime drama uh element to this like in particular the love story the love story goes it doesn't work it goes nowhere it, and it's more the film is more racist by having that uh the subplot than it would be otherwise
1: where it spends um, half the movie trying to apologize for timothy hutton looking at her f- black father the wrong way like five right. years well, ago
2: and so like the narrative here is that like he's dating he used to date this girl for i think like two years if i don't remember the something detail like the yeah something yeah. like that and so he was with this girl for two years and at some point he won wa- like he was finally invited to go meet her father and then he realizes her father is black and she looks at his face and then she immediately kind of breaks up with him because uh, he has the wrong reaction to that. And so uh, Timothy Hutton is a racist despite the fact that he's like kind of combating racism in his kind of position as a, as a DA, et cetera, et cetera. And like, is it this like a complicated uh, look at race relations in New York city? And the answer is like, um, uh, no, <laughs> because <laughs> You've been dating for two years and you just you now invited me to meet your father. I could just have been surprised that he was black or, you know, whatever. You know, this isn't like it doesn't really
1: work as no
2: narrative conceit. No. And the whole reason that we're even introduced to this character is that she's now dating this guy, um, Armando Sante's Bobby Tech's character, who's, mm-hmm. you know, this like kind of high end criminal. I mean, <sighs> I don't know. Like my feeling, and I'm—I I really want to get your feeling on this, but I, I want to kind of just get my general thoughts out here mm-hmm. very quickly. My feeling is that, like the the kind of the idea of what we're going to kind of go through the process of this kind of Q and A process of looking at a an investigation of who of a man who turns out to be a dirty cop, uh, Nick Nolte's character, who commits some murder under the auspices of his office and. um uh, Essentially, he just expects it to be covered up, and it is covered up in, in the yeah. film. And this kind of process of Timothy Hutton as the ADA, um, and then like the, kind of the cops around him kind of having to come to terms with like, how do we deal with that? And the first like hour of the film is very much like focused on that. Like, you kind of get the, you know, we're having interviews, we're kind of talking to witnesses, we're kind of doing this, we're doing that, we're following that story. And then we kind of go off in like la la land of like, yeah. You know, intimidation of witnesses, and we enter like kind of some drag clubs. We enter some other stuff, and all this is interesting in and of itself. But it's less interesting than the sort of like mainline story that kind of the the title Q and A would imply, and it just kind of becomes like we're going to kind of do this thing, but it never really kind of becomes pulpy and fun enough to sort of justify his existence on its own. And so the film just kind of loses its way. And so suddenly we end up kind of we're in Miami or whatever on a yacht and suddenly people are killing each other. And these are characters that we don't necessarily care about. And then the love interest kind of appears and disappears. And then she comes up again at the end and the like police corruption stuff. And so the political angling around this, Mm -hmm. I think is really interesting, but all the stuff that involves kind of the Armando Sante character that isn't kind of directly like plot related, just kind of goes nowhere. And this film is like two hours and 12 minutes long. It could very easily be like a tight hour, 35 hour 40. um, And, and really kind of focus in on like that kind of material. And, I hate kind of. I hate kind of the, the criticism of it's just too long. It's got too much stuff in it. But ultimately, the, the 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 problem is that it kind of leads us off into this kind of like plot netherworld where I'm not quite sure. Like I watched this twice because we delayed this for a week, so I watched it last week and then I rewatched it this week. And I am still not completely sure exactly what's going on in any given moment. Like, I, this is one where if I'd cared enough, I would have done the big sleep treatment and, like, written down all the plot elements and, like, figured out exactly kind of what's going on and what the interrelations are between them. But ultimately, I don't care because there's just not much happening here. And I don't know. Apparently, there was a novel it would be interesting to read the novel and see kind of what that is because the novel was written in the seventies and it does kind Uh, of fit within that kind of seventies, like crime drama kind of, kind of milieu and does feel like maybe this was, you know, maybe it's just 15 years too late to really kind of fit into that. And then now suddenly has to be this kind of like Oscar caliber film with like this, but like a grittier version of this, something that kind of fits more into the like, you know uh, the Serpico kind of, you know, Seven Ups kind of drama right. might make more sense. So anyway, sorry, I've been talking too long. Uh, please, uh, say what you going to say.
1: I I pretty much fall in line with what you're saying here. Um, it is way too long for for what's in here. Like it, it feels like it gets about to the hour uh, mark, and then it becomes a different movie for a lot a lot of the running time mm-hmm. afterwards. Like. Uh, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that different movie. I just don't want it stacked up against the initial premise of the Q&A and working within that sort of idea. Uh, but it goes off, and I think you're right, it is kind of a victim of coming out of the 80s into the 90s. It feels like an R-rated episode of Miami Vice is what it kind of turns into for me. <laughs> And, yeah yeah
2: yeah for for that for that like you know 40 minutes there and that kind of mid to late period before yeah and the rest of the film was like an r-rated version of law and order and so you have mm-hmm. got like an episode of miami vice just inserted wholesale into like an episode of law and order which
1: uh, is kind and of you awesome. know and, and much like uh like miami vice if you watch that show, what kind of keeps you watching is actually the performances. Like it's, it's mm. the, it's the Don Johnson performance, you know? Um, and so you got that kind of same dynamic here with, uh, Nick Nolte, um, who's just like every, every scene he's in, he's just, he's ripping it apart. Like he's just, and, and he doesn't
2: and just chew the scenery. He, he, choose the scenery spits it out uh, at, like a mama bird into the other actors mouths and then re-choose it for them when they're done like that's how much he choose the scenery this is not a criticism he's amazing in the yeah film. no
1: he is kind of like a mama bird to them all too because like every like i don't know if it's written in the character or if it was a choice he made but he does like uh like it's implied it's implied that uh well maybe it's more implied maybe maybe i didn't pick up on this enough but it's perhaps more than implied that he's a closeted homosexual who's self-loathing i think
2: i, th- I think it's pretty i think it's pretty clear okay okay it's pretty
1: clear, yeah. um and so he does like a lot like oh, he gets in a lot of male characters faces like really close and like touches their face and stuff while he's intimidating them and shit wow he brave brave performance at this point and and he not he i was gonna say he's not chewing the scenery and spitting it out He's showing the scenery and actively gaining weight as he's doing it because he's, he plays, you know, <laughs> a slightly overweight cop in this. And yeah and yet he still seems
2: like as, as good as he is. And I don't I don't know. It, it does feel like this is like par for the course for him. You know, like I feel like Nick Nolte is the actor that everybody like thinks that Nicolas Cage is, you know, but those <laughs> people do kind of give Nicolas Cage like a lot of deserved shit. I'm not going to disagree, but he also gets a lot of undeserved shit for being like this, like famously terrible, like scenery chewing actor, right? Yeah. Um, and like in his worst performances, sure, but in his really phenomenal performances, like Nick Cage is amazing, right? Yeah. Nick Nolte is convincing in this film, despite the fact that this is like no person you have ever or will ever meet in your life. No. You know, this is this is a straight up pulp character. And the thing is that like he's so much bigger than the rest of the film that the film suffers for it. And this is where I think like, you know, that kind of like Stephanie's exploitation vibe might have actually like if it had gone if it had pushed a little bit further in terms of like really kind of making these characters and the characters around him a little bit larger than life, it would have You know, kind of heightened the reality of the film because, as it is, like when he's not on screen, you're kind of like, What am I looking at? Armand Asante is completely lost in this film. Like, Mm -hmm. he's just, he's fine. He's a good actor. I like Armand Asante. I think (laughs) some of the dialogue he's given is there's some deep level, like implicit racism. The film is trying to explore sort of like racist cops in New York City and the seventies slash nineties or kind of whatever the film was trying to kind of do this thing. And really what it does is it just like throws a lot of slurs in your face for a long time. Oh my it spends God. a lot of time. There's a lot of this. It wasn't like my memory of the film was actually like it was worse than the film actually is, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I also spend like the bulk of my life now following racist shitheads on the internet. So like maybe I have a greater sensitivity to it. But I was definitely on the like, oh yeah, this is this isn't like doing the racism as a way of describing the racism. This is kind of just being a little bit racist. And I don't even really kind of, again, I don't like blame LeMay and I don't blame the Mm -hmm. filmmakers for kind of doing this. They're trying to do the gritty realism thing, but they're kind of, but the way they do that is like, they give the Hispanic drug Lord from Cuba. They give him like, you know, the very like stereotypical facial hair and the like wet back hair, excuse me for you know that. And they give him like the you know the 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 phraseology that just uh, like you know they do the most stereotypical racist things possible with these characters.
1: And that's like, you know kind of a scarface light in this.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well and Louis Guzman, like um Louis Guzman is an actor whom I love. I I I think he's amazing. I heart Louis Guzman. He's not good in this film. He's just not. And I think that they kind of gave him this kind of very generic, stereotypical kind of racist role. This is very early in his career. Is this his first film or one of his first films? Um, But he's, he's wooden here. Like he's just not like, he's kind of just reacting to Nick Nolte. Like he doesn't know what to do. And I think that there's a, you know, as good as Louis Guzman usually is. And as good as we know he can be, even with sort of like piss poor material. And this material is not like the material they gave him is not bad. Mm -hmm. I think that he just, it does speak to a certain level of discomfort with the production crew with like how to kind of deal with this material. Like they didn't really know how to direct it. They didn't really know how to produce this in a way that would be effective because like there's a pivotal scene in which Nick Nolte is intimidating Louis Guzman and sort of like, you know, saying like, yeah, all cops are dirty. No, no, man, I'm clean you know and louis guzman is just kind of standing there like almost with a stick up his ass and like a yep. rod down his back like he doesn't really know what to do in the scene and that strikes me as the, the mark of an actor who's really doing his best but he really hasn't been given like effective direction you know and um yeah I see that because louis guzman is is so effortlessly uh, loose in so many other films even films right. that are worse than this one, you know. And so I feel like Louis Guzman's bad performance doesn't reflect on Louis Guzman as much as it reflects on the production itself.
1: Yeah. The movie tries to at least hint at like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna get deep into the, you know, sort of institutionalized racism of the police department. You know, you know, we're we're gonna start with you know from the top up with the white cops being the power structure. And then you got the white detectives, and then you well, got. No, no, It's the Irish cops. Yeah, that's the too, Irish
2: yeah. detectives. Everyone has, like, not just a race, but an ethnicity here, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and they're constantly throwing, like, slurs back and forth to each other in this kind of, like, fun and jokey way,
1: right? It's you know? the barbershop scene in Gran Torino. Is, is, right. is kind of what it is right
2: yeah. imagine that for two hours and 12 minutes and that's
1: exactly that's what that's what i was thinking it's like yeah clint eastwood put that in Gran torino he put it in for like five minutes at the most and here it's like the entire film is that shit and maybe, like maybe charles
2: I'm... s dutton is there calling louis guzman like honey dripper you yeah. know and then like you know louis guzman is like well you got to eat all that watermelon in there and charles s dutton and it's just kind of like calls him
1: like knife fighter what are you, and shit like what are,
2: that what are we doing Like, what is this supposed to be?
1: I guess, like, maybe I'm giving the movie too much credit. Like, it feels like they're trying to maybe comment on, like, this sort of fraternity of cops element where even, like, the minorities, they know it's bullshit, but they have to, you know, that that excuse, you know, they they have to work within the system to keep their job and stuff like that. And, And they, you know, and they enable they enable the the white Irish cops to keep this power structure going because they're kind of bullied into it and shit, but the movie never, it never really, it never goes
2: there. It can't, it it can't do that. It can't really like, it, it's just part of kind of that like background noise. And the fact that we spend so much time on it, like if it was just kind of one or two exchanges, yeah. you could sort of like, and, and partly that's a, you know, we're looking at it from a 30 years later perspective where, you know, kind of, where we expect these films to have a little bit more sophistication and like you know i'm I'm willing to let it be a film of its moment like ultimately yeah. and kind of like you know criticize it from the 2020 perspective and not necessarily kind of you know think of this as like oh this was clearly wrong at the time because i think it's true it's it's leaning into this kind of like we're trying for this kind of gritty realism where this is how people talk, except it just feels so manufactured and artificial for, for yeah. much of its runtime, and it is like deeply unpleasant to watch for for oh you know, because the,
1: yeah. the the most unpleasant scene was for me personally was where Nolte interrogates a group of hookers and there's the uh, oh, there's God. and there you know there's the the, the trans hooker that he basically just
2: cross-dresser trans.
1: I mean, we, whatever Yeah. The film,
2: the film isn't interested in that, you know, distinction. And so we can't be either, you know, I, I you know, but you know, although there's someone like, who's like, there's like three, someone who pro- calls th- themselves Sophia. Yeah. Although, like the birth name was Sylvester or something.
1: Yeah. Um, and he, he yeah. bullies her into, you know, saying, Oh no, it's Sylvester right. or whatever. But no, there, right. there are three prominent, cross-dressing characters in this
2: there's a lot of, and and again like in 1990 having this much sort of like quote-unquote gay content yeah would have been seen as incredibly progressive and in fact like breaking you know barriers and doing all that thing and i think that's just kind of the question of like you know like you know yes you can do this and you can kind of bring out this kind of problematic you know material and you can sort of break through that and do the what and at the time probably felt like the right thing. Yeah. But if you're not in communication with people of that community
1: right,
2: and you're not really um, interested in telling that story properly, um, it's just going to come across as um, terrible.
1: That's the <laughs> thing. All, all, all the characters, like even if they think they're being like super progressive with them, all these characters are just side characters and they're all just kind of stereotypes. You know, you can have a movie full of stereotypes, but you've got to interrogate it. You can't just have them, if you're going to throw them up there and you're you're saying this movie is supposed to be, you know, getting deeper into these sort of issues, then you actually have to interrogate the issues instead of just having them there, like acting gay or acting transvestite or you know acting black or acting latino or whatever the fuck right like it's just a a lot of the times is yeah i'm really enjoying nick nulty's performance i'm kind of enjoying some of the story elements and then a lot of it's like oh that's you know i I don't want to throw out the word cringe all the time but it's very cringe there's a lot there's a lot of cringe here there's a lot of cringe here yeah no i i agree you know um
2: yeah i i mean I feel like we're kind of, we're rightfully shitting on the stuff that deserves to be shit upon. Mm -hmm. But the film is also kind of doing something interesting here. And that it is, there's no happy ending to this film. Like, we kind of think we get a happy ending when, you know, like the racist uh, dirty cop gets taken down. But ultimately, yeah, nobody's, nobody's going to do anything about this. You know, like this is... And um, it does. It does remind me. I think this would be a good double feature with uh, L.A. Confidential, and I. Yeah,
1: way, right? there's there's a lot of same elements there. Yeah, LA, L.A.
2: Confidential is kind of the 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 good version of Q. It is. It is. Yes.
1: Because yeah. Nick yeah. Nolte's character in this is essentially kind uh, of butch
2: from Russell Crowe's character from yeah, from LA pretty Confidential. much.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And and it's a very much the same kind of structure where it's like they bring the young. In, in in the case of L.A. Confidential, they bring the young detective in and use him as a figurehead, you know, and mm-hmm. all that stuff to get arrests and good PR. They're doing the same thing of Timothy Timothy Huntin here as the assistant D.A., you know, whose father was a former cop who was killed in the line of duty. Like, actually.
2: A former <laughs> cop who went to law school and became a D.A. And that's, you know, again, that's a, that's a whole thing that does not get interrogated in the slightest. But, yeah,
1: continue. Yeah. I kind of I kind of wonder if someone just like I don't know maybe there there might be some lawsuits <laughs> some someone might someone might want to you know uh call up what what's his name who wrote LA confidential uh,
2: uh Curtis Hansen
1: No uh, the, the the writer of the book Oh uh, Elroy James Elroy. Elroy yeah someone might want to ask James Elroy you know the guy who wrote the book on uh, this did, did he maybe rip you off <laughs> I don't know
2: well, the, the book—I think the book predates the
1: Elroy novel. Oh well, Elroy, you fucking hack.
2: <laughs> yeah, you fucking hack, James Elroy. <laughs> but <laughs> we're gonna get some. We're gonna get some. <laughs> sorry, I almost did the did the um, I did the slur uh, unironically. Um, you know, but uh, I'm not gonna do that. You know, because I, the film definitely encourages you to uh, you know to want to come out and. Use the ethnic slurs in the uh, right in the, in the funny way, right?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I will say, like, even though I, I don't know if it was intentional in the actual text of the movie, um, there is one moment I found like really effective when it's like kind of interrogating sort of the the sort of racist um, mm-hmm. structure within the police. Like, it, it actually kind of comments on the racism inherent in the crime syndicates too, because you see a little bit of that we know the italians well yeah we'll work with these you know quote unquote spics or whatever you know uh we'll, we'll do that but they're not really italians you know like you know they're not really us they're they're, they're good earners but you know we can we can just eliminate them like that you know even even easier than we can eliminate our own people
2: right you know? and then at the end it's like anybody know any chinese <laughs> you know? yeah you know?
1: like uh, we're just gonna clear we're just gonna clear out one
2: ethnic group and then like move on to the next and uh you know just like you know gotta do that qing, ching Chang chong talk for six months or whatever you know
1: like, yeah uh but but at the end scene there where um where chappy uh uh, that's his. That's his name, right? Yeah, uh, Charles has Dutton's character Chappie, yeah. where he's the uh, he, he's he's presented as as the Blue Lives Matter guy, basically, because right. you know he's, yeah. he's, he's he's the black cop who is told to his face by uh, Nolte's character that you know you're the whitest in that I know, yeah, you're the whitest in like, that
2: I ever knew. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and Nolte has no problem gunning him down, like like yeah. Dutton. Gutton, Dutton seems to, like, his character seems to have the idea that Nolte has some sort of respect for him when he really doesn't at all. All, 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 well, all Nolte and, knows and, is that he'll stay quiet. That's what he expects, you know, kind of thing.
2: Well, and all of these people, and this is where, you know, we might, uh, well, okay, we're, we're, we're going
1: to go here now. Um, uh,
2: we're going to talk about real life. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm all of these characters like respect Nulti's, uh you know, character Brennan is the character. Yep. They respect Brennan as like the hero cop. He's always the first through the skylight, the first at the door. They say that in, in dialogue uh, two or three times in the film. Right. But they all know he's dirty. They all know yep. he's like framing people. They all know, you know, kind of all this shit. And so like, what worth is it? If you're willing to go into danger, if ultimately the whole like thing that you're doing is just, Framing people, and the answer is, well, these are bad people, they were good doing bad things. We know they're doing bad things, we can't prove it because there's some liberal judge out there, you mm-hmm. know, like preventing us from doing things, and uh, so we got to kind of make the thing happen or to do the thing. And it does like it is worth noting that this film is made in 1990, despite the fact that sort of the, the novel is from the 70s, and you know, but but 1990 is sort of the tail end of the uh the crack epidemic in new york city you can't uh watch this film without i mean you can because the film doesn't doesn't really isn't really about that but i, I think you can't understand the film without understanding like it's made in that context um there were some super high profile uh, prosecutions of like super super dirty cops. Um, a couple of years before this film was made, um, and in fact, there is a documentary called The Seven Five, which is on Netflix, which talks about like how essentially there were like New York City cops who would go into are like certain like defined city blocks in New York City, and you could just go in, and it was just crack epidemic, crack epidemic, crack, mm-hmm. crack epidemic. You Know, like, and they would just control whole neighborhoods. They were working with the dealers, they were skimming off the top, they were going in and just stealing money for themselves. This was like that era of policing, right? Yeah, um, the documentary is actually not good because okay. it sort of makes this seem like a fun time. <laughs> you know? and in fact, um, a couple of the guys who uh, were profile in that documentary who you know were convicted of uh bribery et cetera et cetera um ended up showing up on a white nationalist podcast that I follow in my other life
1: oh go figure and, it up.
2: um now have a show on the network that is hosted by that
0: <laughs> oh, <for laughs> yeah
2: um talking about their uh talking about law and order and all that other bullshit and so yeah. like you know there is this uh there is this kind of reality to that. Um, I mean, the, the the documentary is worth watching. At least, like, watch the first thirty minutes to kind of get the get the hang of it and kind of get the mm-hmm. feel for it. There is uh, the, this kind of real history here, and I and I think one of the other things that the film does again, this kind of comes into like what's happening in first week of June, 2020 (laughs) is that it focuses on like this sort of big picture conspiracy of like, there are these like kind of group of people who all like know things about this kind of major political figure. And the whole thing is that Brennan is going out and like, he's sort of the enforcer, like killing them. Yeah. And the reality is that, um, you know, poor people who are, you know, passing a bad check or you know passing a counterfeit bill in order to get a pack of cigarettes get uh tortured and or killed uh, on a regular basis by ordinary police action and so like the heightening this to a this happens because there's this vast conspiracy happening does elide the sort of the the normality of this and sort of the real world and I feel like that's something that um, it's very difficult for um, a film of this kind to really kind of explore because it's always like, well, there's got to be kind of this big like drug dealer in Florida. We've got to kind of go down there and there's a yacht and we've got to have like a big scene where the yacht gets burned and exploded. It's like, no, the, the reality is this happens every day. It happens every fucking day yeah. in the United States. There's no... There's no question about it.
1: In the narrative, you know, it's like always the majority of the cops are the good people, you know, and, and it's right. always the one or two bad eggs. And, oh, one of them has super power over the entire department. So that's why there's so much corruption. Yeah, It's, it's not because there's a bunch of cops who are who know what's going on and are looking the other way or, you know watching one of their comrades push the 75-year-old man into the street and have him bleed out his ear and walk right past him, you know, like that. No, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen every
2: day. Clearly, clearly doesn't happen. Yeah, no, that's not a thing. Well, that guy deserved it because he was, you know. Yeah, because he
1: had the nerve to, like, come up to a cop and ask him what the fuck he's doing, basically, you know, like.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I saw the video, you know, and then, you know, you look at the original thread. Sorry, there's a particular Twitter thing that happened. There's a there's a video, and I hope that uh, Lee will link to this in the show notes just so the people down the line will uh, get to see this. But I looked at, like, the comments on it, like, from normies, and it's like, oh, no, he was reaching. They th- He thought he was reaching for his gun because he yep. reached for his belt. It's like, no, he was gesturing vaguely. He's, like, miles away from the guy's belt. It's completely yep. nonsensical, Um, you know. But that's the level of, like, you know, we, and and this is why, and this is why cop movies are bad, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we've done a lot of cop movies. Cop movies are great. They're a lot of fun. But they are designed to tell a story about how cops are basically good, that there's this, like, kind of mass of people out there, the animals, the savages, who are just out to, you know, Kill people and rape and murder and steal, etc. And so you need like a hard, a hard man, a whole crew of hard men who are willing to do the dirty things in order to protect innocent society. And that's just not the case, ultimately. Yep. You know, I mean, it's just you know. Yeah. Sorry, I'm an SJW
1: cuck or whatever, but
2: uh, <laughs> you
1: know. yeah, but yeah, no, that that's 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 the biggest problem with this movie. It, it just and I mean, but this we, film
2: but this film does it better than like most films, right, like yeah, ends
1: up in I like mean, the top
2: easily the top ten percent of films of this kind because it does display um you know the that the corruption kind of comes from the top that the corruption comes because you know there's no political will to combat it ultimately, you know, yeah, and when you. Have that in the film, and when you have, like, you know, this guy is a beloved cop, this guy is somebody that the other cops are willing to protect, and ultimately we don't get the happy ending... It does. It does speak to yeah. There, there is a there is a reality to this. There is a you know, like it is exploring that in a real way. And the fact that even the like really good version of exploring these ideas is ultimately you know fundamentally inadequate in a hundred ways. Yeah, it just it, speaks to kind of the problem in our culture with like how much we fucking worship cops. You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's nineteen ninety, so you especially kind of expect it to be compromised to that level where it's like it it can't it can't blame all cops, it has to blame like two bad Irish cops for the whole problem, (laughs) you know, kind of thing. The whole problem is Nick
2: Nolte. Yeah. Really wanted to just fuck men in the ass. Yes. And bring himself to it and that's the real problem. And of course there's the whole like gay panic kind of thing kind of
1: Yeah, that's there. another kind that's of, another
2: whole deeply problem. Deeply under the surface but like definitely there, you know. Yeah, we we touched on it, but you
1: know, whatever. Yeah. Uh but I I do like that the ending is a downer and that you know yeah. there's almost a bit of a uh third man uh kind oh, of yeah, yeah. Uh, ending yeah. here where it's like he's trying to reconnect with the old girlfriend and she's not having it. She's <laughs>
2: Yeah, we barely even touched on the girlfriend, who is uh, apparently uh, uh, Cindy Lume's, uh daughter. Is the uh, is the girl there? You know, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I was definitely kind of looking to go like this is the era of these kind of films in which like the girl always gets naked for uh, three seconds, uh, and apparently she doesn't, and I yeah. feel that's very. Good because it would make me feel really uncomfortable if uh, you know, he was looking at his daughter naked and yeah, etc. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's no no Dario Argento stuff going on here. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think we kinda covered it with our I feel, I like feel in...
2: weird. I feel weird. There's so much more to the film. Yeah it's not interesting. It's not there's uh you know, like well, we could talk about the performances. Like there are some nice well, performances here. The
0: performances you know? are,
1: I think, across yeah. the board. They're pretty damn good. Like, oh yeah. I mean, Nolte, of course, is is, is kind of the standout here. But
2: Nolte and- is amazing.
1: Like, he, yeah. He,
2: like this really is like watch this for Nick Nolte's performance. Like, mm-hmm. we were kind of like he does chew the scenery, but it's thoroughly entertaining and it's very like within. If everybody was pitched that level, this film would be a masterpiece. Ultimately,
1: <laughs> I mean, he just with all the confidence in the world sticks his hand down the pants of a cross dressing hooker and just yeah. to intimidate the hooker. Like, he's one of the best screen villains I've seen in a long time. And it's, yeah. it's a, it's, I, I think that's the, that's one thing about this film. It is kind of really underseen. And yeah. on that alone, I would definitely recommend it. Just yeah, no, people it.
2: should see it. People yeah. should see it. Definitely. Uh, you know, I, I agree. Um, I wasn't trying to counter signal that idea. I was just saying, like, yeah, it's not, no. it's not great, but it is interesting. You know, mm-hmm. I and mean, it's it's kind of worth seeing in
1: and of itself. You know, I mean, we we watch a lot of movies on this uh, podcast that are not great, but they are interesting. So yeah. yeah. And this this fits
2: into that. Like I I I remembered it as being kind of better than it than it is ultimately, you know. And I think that it was just kind of like forgetting all the the test pattern material to it, you know.
1: Right, right. Um, but yeah, I don't really have uh, any trivia for this so much. Like I, I already mentioned that uh, Lumet put the Alan Smithy uh, credit on there as far as like the television version because uh, apparently it was he felt it was like the editing just compromised it way too much. I for can him. only
2: imagine what like the TBS edit of like oh a film God. with this many like you know racial slurs looked like was this ever on TBS? Like I mean it was that era in which like everything ended up on like the basic cable channels. Yeah. So I'm sure there's a you know, this movie is two hours and twelve minutes long. I'm sure there's an hour and 45 minute cut of this where they just cut all the slurs in the most um, awful way possible oh, yeah. and um, left in all the bullshit. And it's probably the most terrible edit. I feel like that we should do a side project of just seeking out like bad TV edits. And-
1: <laughs> <laughs> this feels like a movie that would have ended up on A&E as a TV yeah. cut. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what that was good. Doesn't feel like TBS to me. TBS would have Tango and Cash and stuff like that, not this. Right. Um, yeah. The only other thing, uh, Nick Nolte gained fifty pounds for his roles, burning right on this, and you know, he he gained it fairly flattering. Like he's not, mm-hmm. he doesn't look obese or overweight or slovenly or anything. He's just got a teeny bit of a gut, and mostly he's just big. Like he's intimidating as shit. Like yeah, yeah, I so, know. Yeah. Yeah.
2: He's just he's just kind of a big guy. He's just sort of I'm a tough cop and I got some weight behind me. And you know, it is like that sort of thing of like, you know, a lot of these a lot of these like, you know, cops would just gotta have the mass to, you know, like look intimidating,
1: you know. So yeah, you know, sure. Yeah. Uh so we decided we're gonna change things up a bit. We're not gonna do VI Warcharski.
2: <laughs> in this in this and this is entirely like a thing that I uh I said to Lee is like uh I haven't seen V.I. Warshawski. It may be a perfectly fine movie, but I can't see doing a like a goofy, fun movie about cops, even though that's about a private investigator, um, which is a different thing. But uh, uh, the idea of trying to watch that and to treat it with any kind of respect at this point, yeah. given what's happening in the world, um, felt I just, I just couldn't bring myself to do it.
1: So, no, and you made a, you made a great suggestion. This is something we've wanted to do for a while. Anyway, we've talked about it back and forth. This was
2: on close. my like initial list of films we were going to do yep. like five years ago when we yes. first started doing this podcast. So, <laughs> all that had to happen was like worldwide insurrection against the cops. Uh, yeah, so to, we're, we're gonna do, do yeah, so we're going to do
1: Yeah, so we're going to do Strange Days, uh, which yeah. should be. I think that will also spark some uh, interesting conversation uh, considering uh, current events. Yeah. So nineteen ninety five. the future is now. <laughs> the future
2: is now. Yeah. yeah. We're going to look, we're going to look to the, to the, uh, to the near future uh, dystopia of 1999. <laughs> you know? So um, this is a film that, uh, you know, I'm just going to, let's follow. This is a film that like really meant a lot to me when I was uh, like, 15 or 16 and saw it for the first time and uh, has a a deep place in my heart. And I honestly can't tell if it's any good or not. So (laughs) we'll see. We'll have a conversation about it next week. Um, But it is one that I'm just too close to, to have any kind of like real
1: critical response to, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, until then, uh, Daniel, tell people where they can find you on the interwebs.
2: I'm on Twitter at Daniel E Harper. You can follow me there. If you, Cues choose to Yelling about Joe Biden And shit um, I was doing a podcast Because I don't speak German uh, It's because I don't speak German But I do have a deep understanding Of uh, genocidal racists And they get really mad at me When I talk about them on my podcast Which is called I don't speak German So if you're interested in the goings on About uh, genocidal racists And the people who uh, Support them uh, You should check out my podcast, I don't speak German, then you can find that at I don't speak or uh on my Twitter, uh, at Daniel Lee Harper or yeah. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh,
1: SoundCloud. I don't know, uh, lots of places. Like, like honestly, you should probably know about that podcast now, considering how much is blown up compared to this podcast. Like, yeah, I, I would, considering... I would not, be, not be surprised if every new listener to this came there. Uh, came here from there, kind of thing, you know. Somehow,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That it is. It is something that I kind of joke about a bit here and there. It's like uh, you know. Um, so I have two podcasts. One of which is a goofy, uh, beery look at like fun movies where we just joke around uh, for an hour and talk about things. And the other is like a deep dive into the worst ideology in the in human history. Yeah. Um, and one of these is a hundred times the size of the other yeah that's not the one that you think
1: yeah Yeah. but uh if if you just want to find this nonsense that we do uh you you know you you want to hear us talk about movies or you want to you want to hear uh, me do a stupid little radio show where i just you know waste an hour of your time playing some film soundtracks and scores uh, we got a new show coming soon. Um, I've uh, I've done a new contract with our, our little resident wolfman, Lee Van Teeth, who does our Halloween shows. He's now doing a monthly rock and roll show on the uh, TMB DOS network, I guess is what it is. Uh, whatever. But, uh, yeah, so uh, that that's coming soon, too. But uh, you can go to TMBDOS.podbean.com where you can find our Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Facebook links. Join the Facebook group. And, uh, you know, you can find out what's coming up on the podcast. Interact with us. Give us film suggestions. Tell us how we're doing. Tell us how bad we are. Whatever you want to do. It's fine. Uh, We look forward to that. And uh, until then, uh, thank you, Daniel. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back with Strange Days uh, next time. Goodbye. Cheers.
0: Driving with his crew The baddest boys All born and raised In Barrio True They're looking for a man Named Sweet Tyrone In Barrio across the street, you don't mess with the ones you love, the ones you Slid off the car. Sold up shotguns pressed against their legs There were wrinkles and dead ends The girl came out and fought for favor as a dream.
1: Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you, drive through.